Open your, uh, your Bible app or your Bible that you have with you to Genesis chapter 2. We'll be looking this morning at verses 4 through uh, 17. Verses 4 through 17 of chapter 2 of Genesis. Uh, I don't know if uh, as you go around to different stores, I know we do a lot of online shopping these days, but um, we still go to the stores at times. Or if you look at billboards around you uh, when you're in town, uh, or if you listen to the radio sometimes or watch TV commercials, uh, you don't have to look or listen for very long before you hear a common thread. You know, so here's sort of a sampling of our society shows us, right? There's, there are many mantras uh, in our culture these days, uh, but there's a common theme that you hear in a lot of them. See if you can hear that in some of these uh, mantras or kind of statements that, that we hear people say sometimes. I am capable. I know who I am, and I am enough. I choose to be present in all that I do. I choose to think through thoughts that serve me well. I choose to reach for a better feeling. I share my happiness with those around me. My body, body is my vehicle in life, and I choose to fill it with goodness. I feel energetic and alive. My life is unfolding beautifully. I'm confident. I always observe before reacting. I know with time and effort, I can achieve. Or I can be whoever I want to be. I love challenges and what I learn from overcoming them. Each step has taken me to where I want to be. Did you hear the humanistic thread that runs through each of those statements? Now, I realize these are statements that you're right, kind of, some of them are obviously pulled out of some context, so there's more there, obviously, but most of those kinds of thoughts or that kind of thinking is woven throughout our culture. I, me, or my, 25 times in those 14 or 15 statements that uh, I said right there. And these human-centered mantras, again, some of them in the right context, in relationship with the Lord, I understand, can, can, uh, can potentially be okay statements. But broadly, I think you get the point that I'm making is we live in this human-centered culture that's all about me and how I feel and living the way I want to live if it makes me feel good, makes me feel better. They speak of self-dependence, speaks of self-determination, speaks of the pursuit of self-satisfaction, self-confidence, and a desire to honor oneself. Or maybe to do right by another person with a motive on my life being better as a result of it. It's a message of a culture that uh, sees no need to depend on the Lord to look for him for help, to honor him uh, when it costs us anything in a lot of ways. And so contrary to this cultural opinion, right, if we really want to know ourselves, then we need to look beyond ourselves. We need to look outside of ourselves, not inside of ourselves. We need to look outside of ourselves to our creator, God, who created us in his image to know him, to love him, and to gratefully, thankfully walk 
in his ways, to walk with him in life. One of the great reformers, John Calvin, said, uh, No man can survey himself without immediately turning his thoughts toward the God whom, in whom he lives and moves. Because it's perfectly obvious that the, that the endowments which we possess cannot be possibly from ourselves. No, that our very being is nothing else than subsistence or existence in God alone. And so the Bible's clear from the very outset. The Bible's clear from the very outset that, that, that everything flows from and is sustained by God alone. And if you don't believe that this morning, that would be the very best next thing you can do is acknowledge that to the Lord and to continue to fight against that internal belief or swim upstream, swim up the cultural stream and ask the Lord to help you continually uh, renew your mind. And so today as we're diving into to Genesis 2, we're, we're kind of looking at moving from the 60,000 foot view of, of some of what we read in the creation uh, in Genesis 1. It's not a new uh, event of creation. This is kind of diving down into a little bit more detail of what we read already in Genesis 1. And so sometimes that's a question that's asked. It looks like there's another creation here, but this is uh, looking, d- doing a deeper dive into the creation that, uh, that Moses, the Lord, explained to us in Genesis chapter 1. And so we're going to see, and I love this, we're going to see the Lord really revealing more and more of who he is to us as we look into the Lord's message to his children, the Israelites. Remember, this, uh, this was prepared for the Israelites as Joshua was re- getting ready to take the Israelites into the land of Canaan, uh, Genesis and Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the Pentateuch or Torah. And um, so, so God wrote it. It's very applicable to us, um, but it's good to remember God's writing to encourage his children as they prepare for a battle. We live in a battle daily, and so we need this word from the Lord. So let's pray, ask for the Lord's help as we, uh, as we dive in uh, this morning. Heavenly Father, would you humble us this morning? Would you help us as we look to you? Each one of us is here this morning for your purpose. And so, Father, I pray that you'd um, open our spiritual eyes and hearts, our eyes and ears spiritually, to be able to see you, to be amazed by you, and to know you more as the great author of your story, the story of your kingdom, and we as characters in it. And uh, we're privileged, Lord, to worship you, to worship you above all else, hopefully to worship only you. And so help us to know you, to love you more, help us to walk gratefully with you, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, let's read the word of the Lord, Genesis 2, 4 through 17. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush, was a, uh, uh, no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed man of the dust from the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature, and the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
and a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. And there it, it divided and became four rivers. And the name of the first is the Pishon. And it's the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah where there is gold. And the gold of the land is good. And Delium and Onyx stone are there. And the second, name of the second river is the Gihon. And it is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. And the Lord God took man, he put him in the garden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you shall surely eat of every tree in the garden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Bless you. <laughs> God created us in his image to know him, to love him, and, and gratefully to walk with him in faith, exercising dominion over all of the earth. Uh, Genesis 4, 4, it, it really could rightly be uh, the beginning of Genesis chapter 2. Um, and it begins with this phrase, these are the generation, right? This is a phrase we'll see nine more times, uh, specifically as we move through the book of Genesis. It's a, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a word, uh, it's called toledot, and it serves as an important cue for us as readers. As God begins to unfold his story in Genesis, he doesn't focus on every detail about every family. In fact, he doesn't focus on every detail about any family, but what he does is he introduces us to uh, several families in the same family lines throughout the rest of the book. He's focusing in on on his people. Uh, obviously, not everybody there is his people, and so we'll begin to understand more of that as we go. Uh, but this is a phrase that we'll hear uh, quite often uh, because of the way it helps us in sort of cueing us to divisions in, in the book of Genesis. He's, he's helping Israel know their family line, where they came from, where they're going, and how he has gotten them there. Ultimately, and, and one of our main focuses for today is that God begins to develop and unveil or reveal who he is in his nature to us, right? He reveals, he reveals more and more about who he is so that we may know him, so that we may know him. This is the only majestic, the only self-sufficient creator God who reveals himself to be intimately personal as he creates the first man, right? So God reveals more of himself uh, with an additional and very personal name, Yahweh. We, we know from our, our recent studies, the name Elohim, which is a plural form of the name of the Lord in order to, uh, to identify and to focus on his, his majestic plurality, if you will. And now we see, and you'll see it right there in verse uh, four, uh, in the day that the Lord God, that's two words there. The word Lord is Yahweh and God is Elohim. Uh, you might notice in your Bible that the word Lord is all caps. Now, it's not true for every translation, I don't think, but most translations or a lot of translations, I'll say, the word Lord is sometimes capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And, and, and there's more than one way of writing the word Lord, but whenever you see it in all caps, that's a cue to us from your uh, Bible translators that this is the name Yahweh. 
This is the name Yahweh. Whenever you see Lord in all caps, it's a revelation or it's a communication about the, the personal closeness of Israel's God and of our God, if you trust in the name of Jesus. And so, you know, it, the, one of the most, I, I think, widely um, accepted meanings of the name, commentators tell us, is the one who is, that is, the absolute and unchangeable one. This is the name he gave when he, when he revealed himself to Moses. It's the name that appears in the Ten Commandments. And it's the name that the Jews, uh, and I would say you and I, ought not to take in vain. Right? And so when the, when the Jews would communicate about the Lord, they wouldn't, they wouldn't speak the name Yahweh. And they would write it in a certain way to be intentional to revere the name of the Lord. And this is a bit of an aside, but maybe the first application or second application right out of the gates is how freely we say, OMG. I know you mean gosh. The Lord is a strong fortress, a mighty tower the sovereign one who made the heavens and the earth and who owns you and me because we are his creation. Surely we can find better ways to use the name of the Lord. Adam's life comes from God, right? God, God speaks everything else to existence, but when he gets here to Adam, we see here, then the Lord God, verse 7, formed Adam the man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the, the breath of life. Notice that sort of two-process or two-step two uh, forming and, and, and creating there. And the man became a living creature. So Adam's body comes from God, not through some uh, random coalescence of cells and tissue, but from the Lord God forming it from the dust of the ground. Notice then, after his body is formed, right, God created Adam. He formed his body, but his body, if you will, lay lifeless. But his soul and spirit was created by God. See, his body was formed, his soul, his spirit was, God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. That Hebrew word is ruah, and you can almost just hear it. I was t talking about this in Sunday school this morning, looking at 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, about the inspiration of God's word, meaning that God's word was breathed out, right? You can almost, it's a different language, so I'm not drawing a one-to-one -one parallel here, but you can sort of hear that, right? Ruah, there's that breath, breathy aspect of it. And of course, that how it sounds doesn't in and of itself make its translation, but it helps in, in, in thinking through this and, and hearing this. So God created man by putting his breath of life in his spirit, or he put his spirit in him. And so you and I are made in the image of God. We're not God, but we're made in his image. We have spirit, and uh, God tasked us with different things. And so we're able to worship him differently. James Boyce says, the implication readily seen by any Hebrew reader is that man was specially created by God's breathing some of his own breath into him. Uh, the King James Version says, man became a living soul. 
And so there are a lot of uh, kind of debates we can get into about different aspects of those things. Is the, does, a, does a person have a soul? Uh, is a person is a person a soul? Really, we're, we're embodied spirits. We're embodied souls that God has given us to, to live on uh, forever. So when Adam receives life, he wakes up to an earth that's already been prepared for him. It's prepared to sustain him. God has already given Adam what he needs uh, for life, as we saw last week in Genesis. And we see even again in this beautiful depiction that we'll read in just a second. But this is significant because I want you to notice that God is a caring creator. Right? It's important to settle in on this. God is a a caring creator. Do you believe that right now? With what's going on in your life and the difficulties in your life, do, when life is difficult, when life is hard, and I'm not mi- minimizing difficulty, I'm not minimizing hard, but do we run to the Lord? We say, Lord, I don't know what's happening in my life. I really don't like how you've ordered my life, but I'm going to come run to you as fast as I can. No, sometimes we, we dilly-dally over here until finally the Lord in his mercy brings us to repentance and we say, Lord, I should have come back sooner. I should have come back sooner. He's a caring creator. He, 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 uh, he creates our life and he's given us all that we need for life. He's created us secondly, to, so first to know him, secondly to love him. Our provider God has given us everything that we need to produce work and to provide for our needs, right? If you look at a description of God's, uh, look at this description of God's gracious provision versus uh, eight and then a, through nine and then a brief comment and then I'll continue reading. But, and the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east and there he put the man whom he formed. And out of the ground the Lord made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. This is God's beautifully perfect creation. And you may have picked up on the detail. There's all this creation. It's beautiful for Adam to live in. Eve's not formed yet. Eve's not created yet. You have all of this gorgeous, wonderful, beautiful creation to sustain Adam. And two trees are are mentioned. The tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of, of good and evil. And we'll come to that. Verses 10 through 14, he says, and, and, and a, a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there he divided it and became four rivers. The first is the Pishon, and it's the one that flowed around the whole hand of, land of Havilah, where there was gold, and the gold of the land is good, and Delium and Onyx stone are there. And the name of the second is the Gihon, it's the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush, and the name of the third uh, river is the Tigris, which flowed east of Assyria, and the fourth river is the Euphrates. So I said at, ver- at the end of verse, uh, verse 9, there's two trees, the, knowledge of, uh, the tree of knowledge and the, and the tree, uh, tree of life, I'm sorry, <laughs> and then the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Two trees amongst everything else that God had made that God put in the garden, and the tree of life sustains us. The tree of life is a tree of eternal sustenance. Genesis 3 will tell us God still has a tree of life available to his people, which he intends even for the end of time. The tree of the knowledge of evil was the temptation tree as we know it. It's the one that we hear about the most. It's the one that Adam and Eve had set their sights on. And uh, an eating of this tree gives this experiential knowledge of good and evil. 
And there's so much I want to keep going into right there, but I have to hold on to it. I can't. Actually, Pastor Brian gets to preach that in a couple of weeks uh, in Genesis chapter 3. But the rivers of the garden, I know this brings up a lot of conversation. I'm just going to do a kind of a touch and go on this one if you think about airplanes circling. Um, the four rivers, there's a lot of discussion, a lot of the- theological debate about these rivers at times. And we hear primarily now about the Tigris and the Euphrates. What we can often forget is the flood that God brought that would have uh, drastically uh, reordered uh, the soil and the rocks and uh, mountains would have been totally different after the flood. And so um, we settle now on what we see in the east there and the the, the, uh, Tigris and the Euphrates. And um, we don't know really where they were because they kind of erased a couple of them there during, during a flood at that point. So and uh, there are scholars who know leagues more about that than I do, for sure. And so I'll defer to them And uh, as we keep moving, because there's important, some important things for us to, to see here. The third, uh, the third aspect of our time this morning is that God created us to know him, to love him, and to gratefully walk in faith, exercising dominion over all the earth, exercising dominion over all of the earth. The Lord took the man and he put him here in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. This is when life and the world is perfect. Everything is going swimmingly. And God has created Adam. He formed Adam. He's, he's breathed his breath into uh, Adam's nostrils. And he became a living creature with a soul, a spirit. And God gives Adam the joy of working and keeping the garden. Now, to be sure, working and keeping a garden is very different now. Some of you love working in gardens. I love other things, <laughs> but not working and keeping gardens. But there was a day, some foreshadowing here, when it, was, it wasn't as hard as it is now. It didn't require the, the attention of pulling up the weeds. and Actually, I wasn't there. I don't know exactly what it was like. But... We know that the difficulty of bringing food from the ground was complicated by sin. I want to ask you something about your own life, though. I'm just going to confess something to you. It is very difficult, Pastor Brian, to stay in this text without jumping forward. (laughs) Because in every sermon, we try to get to Jesus Uh, pretty quickly and it's pretty clearly and pretty easy too because we're sinful creatures and and we need to get to Jesus fast. But right now everything's perfect and it's still perfect as Adam is is working in the garden. But I do want to ask you this question. As we think about gardening and sort of just metaphorically, if you're to imagine gardening, the Lord gardening in the soul of your life, what, what weeds of sin are in there? that we know nothing is hard for the Lord, but in what ways might it metaphorically be difficult for someone to get in there and pull those weeds and, and clean up the space of your heart, of your soul? But it's just a challenge. 
Well, it wasn't this way for Adam here. Everything was perfect, and he walked with God, and he fellowshiped with God. And we know this doesn't, doesn't last forever. This is the most spectacular place that the world has ever seen. It's beautiful. Even the most beautiful aspects of the creation that we see in our world. Sherilyn and I are, and the kids are going to be going on vacation uh, next week after church, and we'll be gone for, I don't know, eight or nine days. And um, we're just planning the trip and uh, looking at things to do. And uh, she just, uh, you know, Rock City, just some places that are beautiful, beautiful to go and see. I grew up in Alaska when I was in high school. And let me tell you, it's gorgeous. I loved it there. But the most beautiful aspects of the earth as we know it now are tainted still from sin. And in the New Testament, the Bible tells us that even the rocks cry out. The creation is longing for the day that everything will be restored to the place that the Lord wants it to be. So can you just imagine how beautiful, how perfect Eden was for Adam here at this point, And then for Adam and Eve as we'll see in the upcoming verses. God created him to walk with the Lord in faith. And when you do that after God has created you and breathed life into you and all you walk around and see is beauty, you're thankful. You're grateful for everything that God's given you. Why? Well, because you're not selfish. You're perfect at this point. Walking with God in faith, with joy, it's one of God's greatest gifts to us. A few years before the fall of communism, and there was kind of a joke going around Moscow, about two workmen with shovels, and one worker would dig a hole every 20 feet along the street, and then the, the second one would come along behind him and fill in the hole with dirt. And this went on and on. Seems like silliness, right? Well, there's a guy watching him, you know, and he shouts to him, Comrade! I kept debating if I was going to try to do a Russian accent, but no. <laughs> what are you doing? It's trying to come out, I can tell. <laughs> Sorry, that's what you get today. Um, I'm kidding. You, you dig a hole and then the other fellow fills it up. You're wasting the party's money. And he said, you don't understand. We're normally three workers. There's usually another guy with us, but he's home today, not feeling well. Had a little too much recently, maybe, and he's not here with us today. And he says, uh, normally, you know, I come along and I dig the hole and then Mikhail, Mikhail comes behind us and he puts the tree in. And then my friend over there comes by and he fills it up with dirt. We're not going to stop working just because he's not feeling well today. <laughs> God created us to work and to keep and to take care of his creation with great purpose. It's not a dead-end road. It's not silliness. It's not, what are you doing? This is ridiculous. Certainly work has gotten harder, but God created us to work and to keep, and it was a joy to walk with God, grateful for all He's created and all He's given, and to manage His garden, to keep it. Matthew Henry says, about the Garden of Eden, about Adam's work in it. He says, while his hands were about the trees, his heart must have just been with God. Working, 
fellowshipping, keeping the ground. He continues, as we're not allowed to be idle in this world and to do nothing, so are we not allowed to be totally willful to do what we please. God gives commands because he's God. And when God gives commands, God gives direction and God gives commands to Adam. It wasn't Adam's to assess them. It wasn't Adam's to decide if the God who spoke everything into creation in six days was making a good choice by telling him to work and to keep the garden. He heard God's word. He believed God. And he worked and he kept the garden for a time. It's a, it's a commissioning word for us. It's a job description that's given to, to Adam and, and, and his wife by extension who they don't fully understand yet who they are and what their role is in this new world that God created. Genesis 1.28 speaks of this creation mandate. Genesis 1.28, God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the heavens of, uh, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. That one word there should sort of stop us in our tracks. Be fruitful and multiply and have dominion over all of the earth. God created mankind as his, his prized possession after creating everything else. Remember, at the end of creating mankind, God said, it's very good. It is very good. And he blessed them. They're not like any of God's other creatures. Psalm 119 tells, or I'm sorry, Psalm 115 tells us, the heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he's given to the children of man. The earth. You're an outdoorsman, an outdoors woman? Go enjoy the earth that God gave to us to enjoy. But it all has to stay in the right perspective, doesn't it? This is what we call stewardship. God, who owns everything because he created everything, gave us a, a job description, a stewardship to take care of the earth that he made and that he gave to us. Now, some people go overboard and worship creation. No, that's not what God meant. He said, enjoy it. Worship me. But enjoy the creation that I've given to you. Work it and keep it under my authority, right? And so Adam begins to work it and to keep it, and he's fulfilling God's command, right? He's got freedom in his pursuits. He gets to kind of, if you will, do what he wants to do as he's obeying God and, and fulfilling God's, uh, God's direction to work and to keep, to have dominion over the earth. But he knows from God's command that he may eat from every tree, Right? Now, hey, kids, kiddos, look up here for a second. There are times your mom and dad are going to say, hey, we're going to go out and we're going to do this or we're going to do that, and there's so much stuff we're going to do. Well, I want to do that. Well, you can't do that, but look at all this other stuff you can do. And as we'll see next in two weeks, Adam and Eve weren't satisfied just with what God said they could freely do. They wanted to go after the one thing they couldn't do, Right? But kids, remember, adults hear this too. There is so much freedom that God has given us in knowing him more fully. 
loving him because of all that he's provided for us and walking with him faithfully dependent in trust on him. Yeah, we don't understand all of his rules or all of his commands or, or why God orders everything the way he does. It's not our job to understand it. It's our job to, well, it is, we, we are called to understand some of it as we get to know him. And the Lord tells us so much, but not everything. Remember, we're his children. We don't demand that he gives us answers that he hasn't yet provided. We walk with it. We know him. We love him. We walk with him in faith. And faith-filled dependence on him. Why did God order the church the way he did? So that he'd get the glory. You mean those people did that? I mean, it's pretty clear. It's pretty easy to see, honestly. Anything good that happens from this pulpit or in the ministries of our church or in our communities that us and maybe other Jesus-believing churches are able to contribute in together, engaging together to go around the world to reach and teach and, and here live out with the wholehearted purpose, what it means to be a follower of Christ. And that came from that? Yeah, because God's good. Because God's the one that's doing the work. God's the one that's bringing the fruit. He's faithful and he loves us. Paul Tripp points out, it became clear that God's favor is not unconditional, right? In the sense that Adam can do whatever he wants and still enjoy God's blessing. We need to sit on that for a minute. Adam couldn't hear what God said and then just make a decision to do whatever he wants and then expect God to continue to give him the same blessing he has received. It's not unconditional. God blesses those who pursue him imperfectly, who follow him out of the love that's flowing for him in their hearts. He says, rather, he, Adam, he needs to abide by this simple law code to continue as he begun. To do so, he needs to trust God's word and he needs to believe God's warning. Faith is required. Even all the way back in Adam's day. And before Eve was even brought along his side. Before God put Adam to sleep and took a rib out of him and from that rib formed Eve. Adam was to walk by faith. And then Adam and Eve were to walk by faith. At this point, everything's beautiful. Everything's perfect. God created us in his image to know him, to to love him, and to gratefully walk with him in faith as we exercise dominion over this wonderful world he's given us. You know, we know how the story goes. I'm like letting the cat out of the bag about three times in the middle of the sermon here, right? But um, it's difficult. There's very few passages in the Bible you preach where you're trying to stay here and not go too far ahead. But honestly, we know how the story goes, right? Adam and Eve sinned. They failed to walk with God in faith. And they failed in their task. But because God is patient, because God is pursuing a plan that he began before the foundation of the world, he sent Jesus. And Jesus had a particular task that he was set out for. 
He didn't deviate from it. He wasn't swayed by the emotions of mankind. He wasn't guilted. And trust me, they tried. He wasn't guilted into doing more miracles. In fact, sometimes he challenged them and said, very loose paraphrase, you want me to do more miracles? You're not going to believe anyway. You just want the good deeds that come from it. You want the benefit of it without the worship. Do you want the benefit of God's blessing without the worship of the Lord? How might the Lord be pricking your heart on that this morning? So Christ fulfilled his task perfectly. He lived, and and this is hard for our minds to understand. He lived in dependence on the Lord, on dependence on the Father, and he walked in fellowship with the Spirit. He came and he redeemed a people for his own glory, and he fulfilled every aspect of what the Father wanted him to do. He did everything he was supposed to do. He didn't do anything that he wasn't supposed to do in thought or in deed. And this is one of the reasons we come week in and week out to remember, to call to our current short-term memory, the faithfulness of our loving God who sent his own son. Begotten, that means given, not created. Jesus has always existed. Remember, Jesus is God's, all of creation came through Christ. Begotten, not made. So that he might live perfectly, give his life on the cross for you and for me we might again worship him, walk with him in faith, knowing him, loving him, and walking in faith-filled obedience. You know, if you are a follower of Jesus, that means if you have acknowledged that you are not able to work your way into heaven and you acknowledge your own sin, and you've, by the power and mercy of God, have turned from your own sin and said, Lord, I want you through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, to be the Lord of my life. Well, the Bible says if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth, you're saved. Not an empty statement, not an empty confession, of course, but if there's genuine faith there, you're saved. Come, eat, drink of the Lord as we continue in worship together. If you're not a believer... You're kind of hearing me talk up here and you're thinking, uh, some of this stuff seems kind of shady. I mean, I really try to do a pretty good job. I'm nicer than the person down the street. Well, then the best thing that you could do today is come to the Lord and say, God, I need you. I know know you're my creator, but would you become my father? I want to be your child. I want to love you, and, or I love you, and I want to worship you and trust in you to enable me to walk by faith. But if you're not sure where you're at in there, just use this time and remain in your seat. You can pray. You can stand and sing when we do. Come tap me on the shoulder. I'd love nothing more than to have the opportunity to talk with you. Grab Pastor Brian or anybody that may have, have brought you to church today. It'll be the best way that you could spend your day in the rest of the years that the Lord gives you on this earth. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you're so faithful and kind and gracious to us. And it's incredible to read and to study and to see how you have created this world and you created mankind to to work it and to keep it, to fill the earth and to subdue it. And you've given us everything that we need to learn how to know 
who you are as our Savior, as God, to, to rightfully, with help from the body of Christ, be able to, to turn from ourselves over and over again and to walk in trust and faith-filled obedience through depending on you and trusting your wisdom. And life is complicated, but your word is so sufficient in giving us what we need. Help us to, to trust your word. Help us to trust how you're working in the body of Christ. Help us to look upward as we walk straight ahead, stumbling and getting up, because you're faithful to keep us. We'll give you all praise, Lord, for anything good that happens in our lives and in our church. You're the only one that's worth it, the only one worthy. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.